Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, I'm Ariana Maddox, reality TV star, author, mixologist, and major daydreamer. My show, Earth to Ariana, is where we can all get lost in conversation together. Whether it's the weird things we fangirl over or our trauma and triumphs, we all have a story to tell, including you. We really are all connected and I can't wait to explore these conversations with you. Every week we will be putting on our comfiest PJs, circling up with a cocktail and chatting with fans and friends alike. We might even get a little too comfortable. Check out Earth to Ariana anywhere you listen to podcasts. We release new episodes every week. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rule book and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman. From hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more, whether you are pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Are you ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Abigail Cookstone started out as an art buyer for Ralph Lauren, but after traveling the world in search of art for the brand, she uncovered the desire to launch her very own. Inspired by her lifelong passion for art and interiors and a healthy obsession with candles, Abigail founded Otherland, a modern candle brand that transformed your home into an immersive world that never stands still. Abigail set a challenge for herself to invigorate a tired space. Art forward and fun, Otherland blends scents crafted by legendary perfumers with iconic limited edition packaging. Not only can her candles be found in resellers like Sephora and Nordstrom, Abigail has quickly gained recognition for discovering on-the-rise art talent. She's a true storyteller and knows a thing or two about launching and growing a business, so I'm so excited to be chatting with you, Abigail. And as you know, I am your number one fan. If you guys have not tried Otherland candles, it'll change your whole vibe around candles in general. It really does transform your home. So I'm so excited to talk to you. Let's get into it. Oh my goodness, Jacqueline. Thank you so, so much. I am so thrilled to hear you're such a big Otherland fan and excited to to talk. 
Yes, absolutely. So before we dive in, let's talk about the past. Let's give a rundown on your background. So you were in art acquisition for Ralph Lauren, which is such an interesting job. So can you tell us a little bit about how you landed that job and sort of what your day-to-day was? Yes. So I worked in art acquisitions at Ralph Lauren. So that means that I was sourcing the artwork for the stores, the showrooms, and even the polo bar. That was my last project in New York. And uh, I studied art history in college. It was really a passion of mine growing up and a great way to put it to use. But I actually got that job. It wasn't my first job at Ralph Lauren. I started with the company when I was 16 at the first uh, Rugby Ralph Lauren store in Boston. So I worked on weekends and vacations and it was a new brand for them. So it was kind of my first exposure to, you know, it's not a startup because it's Ralph Lauren, but a new brand. And that was so, I think, pivotal for me to see how the, the, the line evolved, how they adjusted their demographic, adjusted the product. But I worked my way there through college on weekends and vacations, coming home from school, and then worked there first in merchandising. And that was kind of when I realized I'm actually not totally passionate about fashion. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to make a jump. And so art acquisitions, it was just perfect that at the company, they had that as a role. And so uh, my days were really spent. uh, So a lot would be sourcing. So sometimes we'd have a bigger budget and we'd be looking at auction houses or galleries, but sometimes we'd have a smaller budget. So it was more about maybe buying a royalty free photograph, making some changes in Photoshop and printing it on nice paper. Such an interesting little aspect of fashion I've never even really thought about, but so cool. So I love that you took a job, realized, hey, this isn't for me, found another job you're passionate about, and then really from that job, took the things that you loved about it and then created your own business. So did you always see yourself becoming an entrepreneur, but how did that leap go from, I love art, I love candles, I want to disrupt this industry? Absolutely. So when I was a kid, I definitely was a kid that had a lot of businesses, kid businesses, and my parents definitely encouraged that. Of course, the lemonade stand, but also things like, uh, do you remember toothbrush bracelets? Did you ever make these? No. Uh, What is that? Okay. So you'd take like a, a, you know, kind of like a clear, colorful toothbrush. You'd pluck the bristles out. And with the help of an adult, you would dip them in boiling water take them out and then carefully mold them into a bangle. And it was like the coolest thing at school to roll up with your wrist with, you know, 10 different uh, toothbrush bracelets. So that was like, that was like a big business, you know, the school fairs and everything. I love that upcycling moment for you. (laughs) Like sustainability. I know, right? Yes, exactly. And so, um, I think I always had a feeling that I'm a builder. I I have ideas and I'm good at putting them into action. And and that was part of what drew me into that rugby Ralph Lauren experience was seeing uh, the leaders of the company really do that. But I think when I graduated from college, it was 2010. You were really lucky to get a job if if you could. And so um, I used the relationships I had built at Ralph Lauren into getting that merchandising job. And I then, you know, kind of swept up in that world. I felt like I've got to climb this this ladder of merchandising. I want to be a buyer. I, I have to get there. I've got a leg up. And then when I realized it, it not only just, it wasn't for me, I, I wasn't great at it. That was such a hard realization. I, I just remember being devastated. And I, I kind of stuck around in that job, I think for too long, just kind of like, you know, footsing about, I, I wasn't really progressing. It just wasn't the right fit. But 
Meanwhile, you know, I was able to get into art acquisitions. And that's where I realized, you know, I love this creative side of me, but I do actually miss the business side a bit. So it was kind of trying to figure out like, what's next? What do I do? I was interested in startups, but I didn't know anyone who worked at a startup. The world kind of seemed inaccessible to me. So it was actually podcasts that I started to listen to. Um, I remember listening to one that Emily Hayward from Red Antler did about branding. And it's kind of furiously taking notes and consuming all of this startup uh, and branding content whenever I could. And that was when I decided, okay, I've got to make like a big change. I'm going to try going, see if I can get into business school and really use that two years to reset my skill set. You know, I had studied art history, get some of the the finance and, and econ down business building and really use those two years. Maybe I could intern and, and learn. And so not every entrepreneur you know, needs business school at all. It was a great experience for me. I, I went to Columbia here in New York, and it's also where I met my co-founder and now fiance. Um, Yay! And <laughs> it was great for me. I, I really grew my network. I, I got to be part of Dorm Room Fund, which is first round capital student venture capital fund. And then I worked at Founder Collective, so which is it was a seed stage fund. And it was really there that we were meeting with all of these uh, direct-to-consumer brands, the luggage companies, the dog food companies, everything in, in between. And so that was when I, I really started to think about, I'm waiting for my big idea, but now the wheels are really turning and I can see how to put it into practice and how I'm part of the community now. And that was really important. So it was in my final semester at Columbia where it struck me, I'm burning candles like every day. The ones with the fragrances that I love, uh, more sophisticated and layered, so prohibitively expensive. And I, I kind of realized that there wasn't like a real reason why. And so then the wheel started turning for other land. I love that. So, I mean, I think it's great that like, you know, you were able to go back to business school, create that network and start build that like, you know, startup mentality since you were in corporate America, there wasn't a lot of that sort of innovation happening. So you come up with other land and you do your first scent and your first scent was tomato. So yeah. tell us a little bit about the beginning stages of this business, how you were looking to disrupt an existing, you know, kind of category that's been around forever and, and what that next step was into, oh, I'm going to start manufacturing these. Yes. Okay. So I had the idea. And so I was seeing, you know, the luxury brands, great fragrances, prohibitively expensive on the other end of the spectrum, the more accessibly priced, a lot of these like artificial cloyingly sweet scents that really just not for me in lackluster design. So I was first kind of identifying this, this white space in the middle where it felt like, you know, we can find a good price point that we think is, can be accessed by, by both sides. Um, we can work with the same perfumers. So a lot of research right at the beginning, just buying as many candles from different spec ends of the market as I could. I think I had like 30 candles in my apartment at that point, just burning them constantly, trying to figure out, you know, not just what scents do I like, but how are these waxes different? What do we need in a container? So really becoming knowledgeable there. And then I decided I need to learn how to make candles. And when you think um, really in these early stages, I think it's so important. So one is like this aggressive market research, like you need to know everything about the market. Another part of, of the market research is talking to everyone. So I would talk to my Uber driver, the person next to me at the bar, person on the subway and ask, 
are you a candle person? What are your favorite brands? What kind of scents do you like? And really getting as much info as you can. Then the second is, is kind of to create this, this MVP, this minimum viable product. And that really allowed myself to create a candle laboratory in my kitchen. So I was in a little six floor walk up apartment and I'd be hauling this, uh, you know, the chip wax and my melt pot and lots of different fragrances just that I bought on online and learned how to make candles. And that's where I learned, you know, you can't just use the same wick for every scent. The wick actually has to be optimized for particular molecular composition. If the molecules are bigger, it needs a, a looser weave and so forth. And the flame has to be the right size for, for the candle. So I made so many candles. Tomato was was the first one. And I think, I think that was the favorite. But that that's just how you learn. And and really that armed me, the the crafting knowledge armed me when I went to talk to a manufacturer. I could talk about it more. I felt more comfortable with what they were talking about as well. So the first steps were a lot of that research, putting together kind of like a 10-page pitch deck. I was able to get a lot of practice in the school environment of, of pitching, refining the pitch. I mean, let me tell you, I'm, I'm still pitching. I'm still using some of the lines that I, I developed then. So I graduated and I said, oh, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to raise a million dollars and people are going to see this huge market opportunity. Uh, millennials, Gen Z, everyone's burning candles. And that summer, I remember hauling my suitcase up six flights of stairs. Uh, and I would put candles that I had made and candles also from the market. I would bring them with me. I think that was actually a tip from uh, Haley Barna from Birchbox. She said, mm. you have to bring stuff with you that, that investors can smell, even if it's not, you know, your, your perfect scent, just so they can get an idea of, you know, this is what we What's like, or we don't like. Yeah. yeah, totally. So I was hauling that suitcase up and down the stairs 20 times a day. And everybody said, no. And it wasn't until, I know, so it, it wasn't until late August that we were able to get a little investment and that allowed me to do kind of the first bit of branding and design work, which was really important, I felt, for this company and for this product. Not every company needs to invest as much in, in branding and product design, but I felt like to wake up the sleepy market, that was really important, especially as being digitally native for, for a scented candle. Amazing. So once you had the branded product, you found it was easier to raise money against that. So much easier. You know, I felt like I had a well-designed pitch deck and everything, but it really wasn't until investors could see the product that they started to understand it, how the artwork ties in with culture and, and uh, how it would work in a digital environment. Totally. Like, I think that's really great advice for anyone who's out there looking to raise. I find on the VC side and on the, on, from my experience talking to founders, it's much harder to get venture capital when you're pre-product. It's, it's really challenging, especially now. I mean, back then you were fine, but like give, now given the supply chain issues, it's like, we don't know if this product could ever get made. So it's definitely um, a good tip there. So let's talk about the art and the branding. So you source artists and they help you design the packaging labels, all that good stuff. So the whole experience of opening the candles down to the matchbook is amazing. So tell us how you, you sort of integrate them into the product. 
Yes. So, okay. So I knew that art being something that I loved and seeing, it was actually a lot of minimalism I felt like out there in the candle market. Wanted to have a perspective, a more maximalist one and seeing the the candle as this kind of consumable multi-sensory experience. So the scent, bringing the art to life. And we also really needed art to help us in the digital environment. So how do you buy scent online when you don't smell it first? How do we get customers over that hurdle of not smelling, which is a very big one. We're we're selling candles, of course. So that was really critical. And so as part of the product development process, we we really talked a lot about different uh, surfaces. So things like in our packaging, that, that first unboxing moment, the matchbox, we have the topper of the candle, and then, of course, the labels. And so we wanted to have all these special services you could discover and unwrap, but also to share on social. And so in order to really stand out on, on social and be kind of iconic have uh, and create kind of a story that customers can tell, the art piece was really, really important. And it, it's all about, um, you know, those different expressions of the collection. And, and it's what makes a collection a drop. It's this consumable experience. It changes with the seasons. There are limited editions. So it's it's been a huge, huge part of us, uh, our brand. But we typically source the artists really from Instagram. And that's where we're kind of constantly finding and saving. Um, the last artist we worked with is uh, Aria Haliba, who did our Adorned collection. And also this past year, uh, Happy Menocal did our Homestead and a summer collection, the Beach Club. We worked with uh, Tishk Barzanji, who is, he, he's actually an artist. He works in uh, like an architectural rendering software. So he created this kind of fantastical beach club, futuristic world for us. But we work with artists of all, all mediums. So Amazing. I love that so much because I think it's, I'm such a brand person and I think it really makes the difference. And one of the things that's so interesting about what you're doing is not only the scents, which are super unique and I want to talk about, not only the art, which is also really unique and interesting. It's the fact that you're able to ditch the industry standard markup because you're selling direct to consumers. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about from a product development lens, how do you ensure customers are getting their money's worth? How are you communicating, you know, getting out there to disrupt this like old school candle uh, market to create something really intentional. Yes. So there were a few kind of principles that were important to us in, in the development process. I mean, one was using glass. I think it's safer than something like tin, using glass that's that's well-made, American-made. The wax blend, uh, wanting to have a coconut soy blend and, and feeling really good about that and 100% cotton wick. So the most actually expensive component is is the juice, as we say in the industry, the fragrance. And that was quite a project to to source. Um, I will tell a quick quick anecdote. So the fragrance houses, these are big luxury fragrance houses. They work with Tom Ford and, and all of the top top brands. They really don't work with startups. And so I had tried to get in. I had had one call with someone, but she wasn't really calling me back. And then my best friend at her bachelorette party strategically seated me. We were at the club at Lavo, seated me next to uh, her friend who worked at uh, Furmanish, which is one of the, the top fragrance houses. And I had saved on my phone, this is a good tip for entrepreneurs, I had saved renderings of our product so I could flip through and Easily. show her quickly. Easily accessed, show everyone. 
she got so excited. She's like, you have to meet my boss. And that's how we got into Furminish. And so we work with truly the best perfumers, people like Honorine Blanc, who's a master perfumer, Frank Vocal, who uh, you may know, Glossier U or La Labo Santal. So it's really, really the highest quality stuff. That said, there's also in that consumer research process that you go through and, and consumer feedback and listening like on social and with surveys, we actually found that one thing that customers are really, they view as a, as a show of quality and luxury and value in a candle, especially the scent row. Customers want to know that it's highly fragranced and it's going to fill the room, especially if they're going to spend $36 on it. So that is actually something we, we use uh, 10 to 12%, which is the highest allowed in our wax, but most candles are actually like six to 8%. So we use more juice and that's something that we've learned to push for more in our marketing messaging to get customers to buy in. So it was definitely a combination of kind of gut instinct around what, what we think a, a quality product is, but also that customer listening component. That's so interesting. So I love candles. Like I joke, I'm like, am I a candle influencer on Instagram? Because I, <laughs> I have tried yeah. everything and it's so true. I mean, I did not know this. I just learned this about Otherland, but it fills the room. And I've yeah. never, I'll like like candles and people come into my house and it's like, whatever. When I have an Otherland candle, everyone's like, it smells so good in here. And okay. I think that's, yeah, no, it's, it's such a testament, but like I sent pro, I didn't even know it was a term. So super interesting and really good insight. So at what point did it make sense for you to partner with retailers? So you're in Sephora, which is incredible, obviously like a beauty wellness juggernaut. How did you kind of end up on the shelves there? And what's your play when it comes to retail? Yes. So Sephora, like absolute dream for me. I am a VIB Rouge member. Love it so much. So yeah, it was it was really all, always something that we had hoped we might be able to do. It, it's a, candles are a growing category for them. So it was, it was actually during the pandemic and we had been reaching out, trying to get in touch with their buyers. And I, I think I might've sent, maybe 10 cold emails that, you know, I, I just kind of like kept pushing, really wanted this to happen. And we actually, we heard back and had a meeting several months later, but um, it was November of 2020 that we launched at Sephora versus a small test and then expanding. But we really want to be where our customer is. And especially at, at Sephora, the customers shopping there every four or six weeks are coming in frequently checking stuff out, um, mixing up their beauty routine. They also were able to give us, I think, the space and brand focus to kind of tell our story more and engage social. I've been able to do uh, some live streams with them and and so forth. Being a direct brand or starting out as a direct brand, having that, that communication with our customer and telling that story is so important. So we wanted to find the right retailer that we could partner with for that. But it's been, it's been super exciting. And, you know, omni-channel is, is the word go where, where your customer is. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's incredible advice. And you're taking an even deeper leap because you're opening your own brick and mortar. You're doing pop-ups and then obviously we'll have your own store in Soho. So tell us a little bit about diving into brick and mortar, not just in the retail sense, but owning your own store. Oh my gosh. I am so, so, so excited about opening our own store. It, well, it takes me back to my start, which was that first rugby store in Boston in uh, 2004 and getting my starts in, in retail. And 
our world of Otherland, a hallmark of ours being so maximalist and visual forward to be able to create that other land IRL, bring our customers in and actually have them get to smell for the first time is just so, so exciting. And we, uh, we partnered with an amazing designer named Sasha Bickoff, who is known for these really, really fabulous, fun, whimsical, and again, very maximalist designs. So it's all coming together, opening soon. I was actually just, just there literally an hour ago, um, going through things with everyone. We actually had a, a store uh, training. We, we hired a manager and associate store training in in my living room a few hours ago. So it's, it's happening and real. the store. Yeah, it's real. And it's been a, a journey. The first location that we had picked out the 11th hour, it, it fell through. Obviously Omicron was a little bit scary and, and the Delta wave. So like finding the right place, the right timing, but funny enough, it, the space we ended up taking. So it'll be, it's three floors. We'll have our office on the top floor, which is amazing we can, you know, be so close, but it used to be benefit cosmetics. So I used to get my spray tans in what is our new meeting room, but there's a lot of Brown on the, on the walls right now, but, um, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So yeah, Soho West Broadway, 454 West Broadway, but yeah, come check it out. That's an incredible location just for, for walkthrough traffic. So congratulations on that. I'm definitely checking it out next time I'm in New York. So now you're far along, you've raised money, you're building this fast-growing startup in the direct-to-consumer space, tapping that millennial Gen Z market, all things people really want to learn how to do. So what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned along the way and what have they taught you? So one, I think, is build something people love and you really have to get in there. It's, it's that research. It's always having that mentality of, not just at the beginning when you're doing the customer research, but I, I still ask everyone I know, I meet, are you a candle person? You know, what do you like? What don't you like? And really driving towards a product that the people just get so delighted and excited by and, and pushing for that, advocating for that internally to make sure it happens. And, and if you can find that right, you know, product market fit, that that is everything and, and you can grow from that. So um, build something people love and, and really push to find that focus. Another lesson would be everything takes longer than you think, um, or that that's maybe a, a special one for me, but I, I'm a dreamer. I, I dream big and I'm good at putting the wheels into motion of things, but I think I, I need, you know, someone who's like a driver completer to kind of help me get it over the finish line. And if this sounds like you, you've got to make sure to find the right support system around you of people who can help and learning to delegate is just critical. And especially the beginning where your hands on everything, it can get kind of hard to do that, but it's such an important skill. It, it truly is a skill to learn. So that would be a, a couple of things. I totally agree with that. I think it's important if you're starting a company to know how to do everything in the company. You don't have to be great at it, but yeah. just knowing how to do yeah. it is so important. So I think that's great advice. So what's next for Otherland? Like beyond, obviously you have the store, the pop-up, you have your amazing candles. Like what excites you about what's next? Yes. Well, the future, future looks bright. I like to say, but no, we've, we've got so many exciting things planned and exploring new sizes, new formats of the fragrance. You know, the fragrance is such an asset now and our candles have become 
different scents called favorites with people. So really expanding that and how can we get our fragrances into more places in your home that you're going to enjoy and, and love. Ooh, exciting. All right, let's wrap with some sentence finishers. My biggest career crush is Jamie Kern Lima. She a founder of It Cosmetic, which she sold to L'Oreal. She's an amazing founder, really kind person. She did a fireside chat with me and I just have so much respect for what she built. Yeah, she's been on the pod. She's she's great. Success smells like money. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Freshly, fresh, freshly printed cotton dollar bills. No, I would say, okay, success smells like the smell of sort of a tinny metallic smell of sparklers. So Sayed and I, we love to actually keep a little stash of those sparklers just for a little extra drama whenever we're celebrating something. So um, I would say kind of the, the smell after you've burned one of those. I love it. Look, I'm not mad at a money candle. I think that's <laughs> My favorite Otherland candle is? Okay. I can't choose favorites. They're all my favorites. I mean, I, I picked them, but I will say we've been burning, I've been burning sort of night and day, our new scent, uh, Nectar Pop, which is, it's a fresh mango. Have you ever had that haagen mango sorbet? Mm-hmm. It's like cool and creamy and tangy. It, it really reminds me of that, but that's my pick. Ooh, love it. Um, amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Abigail. Can you tell everyone where they can learn more about Otherland? Yes, you can find Otherland at otherland.com, on Instagram at otherlandco, and TikTok at otherland. I'm Abigail Cookstone, and you can find me at Alphagale. Yay! Thanks, Abigail. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party.